I'd like to begin tonight with a very beautiful sutta. The Buddha says, Suppose a man or a woman threw into the sea a yoke with one hole in it, and the east wind carried it to the west, and the west wind carried it to the east, and the north wind carried it to the south, and the south wind carried it to the north. Suppose there were a blind turtle that came up once at the end of each century. What do you think, monks? Would that blind turtle put his neck into that yoke with one hole in it? He might, venerable lord, sometime or other, at the end of a long period. Monks, the blind turtle would take less time to put his neck into that yoke with a single hole in it than a fool, once gone to a hell realm, would take to regain the human state, I say. Why is that? Because there is no practicing of the Dhamma there, no practicing of what is righteous or what is moral, no doing what is wholesome, no performing merit. There, mutual devouring prevails and the slaughter of the weak. That's from the Majjhimani Kaya, Sutra number 129. Bala Padita Sutta. Bala is full, and Padita is wise. So this Sutta speaks about foolish choices and wise choices. So we really have to consider carefully what we choose to do. That's where our courage comes. We have to be confident enough in the teaching and the meaning of the teaching and where it directs us and how we should embody it. And rather than just listening to what tradition says, what what the majority says, what what legal people condone, what the government ordains. These these can lead us astray. But if we have the Dhamma solidly in our hearts and our feet, planted on the path, really well established in our practice, then we can make very wise choices. And we don't have to, certainly, we obey like traffic laws, and we obey conventional laws, help keep peace and protect the public, and protect each other, our safety, etc. But the moral laws are foremost. And so is patience. Patience is considered the supreme incinerator of defilements. Isn't that lovely? It's an incinerator. You want to recycle garbage, so you just throw the paper into a fire or scrap wood into your stove. So in the same way, the defilements that arise in the heart can be thrown into the flames, burn them, not literally, but but through wisdom we can burn up, through patience we can burn up, through right effort we can burn up those defilements, through a moral loyalty, like a devotion to the moral path to develop our own virtue, we can burn up those defilements. Through loving kindness, we can burn up 
through compassion and patience, we can burn out our impatience and our indifference or our hardness of heart, our coldness, our cruelty. Oh, we're not cruel, are we? But yeah, sometimes we can be cruel to ourselves. In our efforts to cultivate the heart, it is forbearance that allows no insurance continuity. That's from Ajahn Sorrow. So forbearance, patience. If we really want to continue, and this speaks to how patience and how forbearance support the bricks and mortar of inner meditation practice. How easy it is for us to evaluate ourselves. Either we think we're doing better than we are, especially if you have a very bright mind and there's a bit of pride and we get a little glimpse of something that never happened before and we think, that's it. I'm there. So we have to see the downfall of it. We're not ready to look at the mind. So if we, if we have a lot of pride and think that we know what we're doing, we have to reel back. If you're on a hill and you're trying to go in a, a high gear, you, your car will struggle and strain. And the same with your dumb vehicle. We could break our spirit and dissipate our energy. We can easily burn out if we do that. And if we're overconfident and we plow ahead thinking this is a breeze, we might hit a wall and then abandon the practice altogether. Can't seem to do it anymore. So we give up. So if you're trying to bring the mind to deeper and deeper places, you have to go gradually. Use reverence. Be very, try to be humble but also caring and loving towards yourself that this is something that was taught by a human being, not by a god, not by some supernatural force. A human being, just like all of us are human beings in the human realm. And these instructions, this map of the mind, is meant for our capabilities. Some of us may have a, a lighter karmic bundle, and it will unfold more quickly. But there's definitely an unfolding. And one of the Buddha's strong emphasis is it's a gradual training. It's a gradual path. And we need to respect that. However, it's a ladder. You're climbing a ladder. And just like a ladder has many runs, there are steps on the path. So, if you want to assume a meditative posture, I mean mentally, internally, then I will just go over these rungs of the ladder. And listen closely. Some of these insights you may have already had. And if you haven't, don't worry. Just so that you know the, the lay of the land a little bit. I won't go through all of them, but I'll go through some of the basic ones just so that you get some confidence and, and, and feel, oh, 
understanding that this is an um, evolving, progressive project. And we, we can move through very slowly with gradual movement, there comes strength. Because if you go up the ladder too quickly and you miss a run, you might topple the whole thing over. Or you might fall and hurt yourself. Or you might get discouraged and give up. So it's really important to pass through every step with firmness and stability. So starting with the knowledge of the mental and the physical aspects of our experience. Because normally people go about life believing that there's the body and there's the brain that is the engine behind whatever's going on, and the intellect drives and directs us. But in fact, uh, as we've been looking and investigating, we see that this, this body is made up of many elements, and they are in the sphere of materiality, with earth element, air element, water element, fire element, like that. And then the mental element is something more intuitive. The mind is, is something that we cannot touch. And as we engage through these sense doors, there's a process that happens. The ear, for example, hears a sound. When the sound happens, like a train passing, that sound touches the ear door. There's contact. And once that contact happens, the result of that contact is hearing consciousness. It's a particular consciousness. And for each of the sense doors, there's a different way of describing a sensation. A beautiful sound, tastes, spicy tastes. When you see something, you have a visual way of receiving that information, and it becomes that which is seen. It's, it's a sight, it's a form. And a smell is an odor. So experiences are quite unique at each sense door. But by thinking, we have thoughts, and these are different kinds of objects. They're, they're internal phenomena. They're not physical, they're mental phenomena. So these are experienced at the level of mind. Also, when the mind is aware of a phenomena, whether it's external or internal, that contact with the mentality that creates a consciousness of that object, the ability to see that object, then mind can affect the physical experience, the body experience, and the body can affect the mental experience. What the body holds can also affect later ways that the body receives impacts based on its previous impact. Like if there's a, a tight place in the body and it's impacted, then that tightness might be felt even more strongly by an impact. Like an injury, if we 
and a stronger intention to turn the mind to the body or the breath or turning the mind to the stillness. It can be a way of disrupting that unwholesome train of thought. The third insight is the knowledge of mastery. And this is a more clear way of seeing. We see the beginning, we also see the middle, and we see the ending. In the second insight, we already started to have a glimpse into impermanence, anicca. But with this third insight, our understanding of anicca is strengthened. And we really begin to see how things arise, they subsist for a while, and then they end. They disappear, they vanish. Then they come back, arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. Um, like the Doshan yesterday, who asked the Master, this arising and vanishing, this arising and vanishing goes on unceasingly. That is true. That was such an important insight. So we see, when we see the cessation, then the reason this is, is because it teaches us that we can also experience the cessation of our pain the cessation of our suffering. So, these insights are experienced at the five sense doors. But most importantly, they're experienced in the mind. Not just through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. But when you see the breath, for example, you feel the breath arising and ceasing. But what the breath is teaching us is impermanence. Now we're really deeply, going deeply into the Dhamma. When we have insight into suffering, we can penetrate into the emptiness of that. Who is suffering? I can't reply to notion. Uh, who's vanishing? Who's arising and vanishing? Is it? Whose is it? Who? To whom does it belong? And that was his awakening. The difference between this double ladder and a ladder that you're using to climb up to a wall, the difference is that these insights, when you go up a traditional ladder, every step is very different. But in the field of Dhamma, these rungs of the ladder, it's a mystical ladder, kind of like a DNA molecule. It's a spiral. It goes around and around and around. So we're actually going around and around and around and around and around. But we're ascending out of the, the cloud of not knowing. We're ascending out of the fog. So we keep repeating these insights more and more. But because we're ascending out of our defilements and our delusions, we have more clarity about what we're learning. So this insight into a nature is something that we keep on seeing more and more clearly until we see its profundity, its totality. And the same with dukkha, 
and unselfishness, suffering, and the emptiness of this whole process. And where is the person? Who is it? The Ojo. No one. But in these primary and very important, very essential stages, we, we don't know that yet. We don't really know it. We're just getting little glimpses. But they're primordial and they're without these steps, without these developmental steps, like a small baby. A small baby can walk, but it can only walk a little bit and it falls down. And so here we're already we're walking, we're we're walking, we're approaching the path, we're approaching the, the stream, but we can't go in yet. We're not fully on the path. We still have a lot to learn. But these are the rudiments of our practice. And the, the repetition of them. That's why it's so important for us to practice. That's why it's called practice, because it's training. We keep training how to see this, how to understand it, understanding it more, understanding it more. Just like a medical doctor, like a baby, has to train to walk. Then it learns to walk more and more. First it has to hold on. Holds a hand and it holds onto a table. Then pretty soon she's on her way. Walking down the highway. Walking across the continent. That's how far you can walk. You can walk so far. We can walk all the way to Nibana. It's not a place, but just using that metaphor. The fourth insight is a more clear understanding of this arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. Now, everything that arises in consciousness, every phenomenon that comes into our mind door, is seen through this arising and ceasing. It's just impermanence becomes so powerful that we see it all arising and ceasing. And it, it's the knowing of that and the knowledge of that is so primary, so in the forefront, that it brings us a lot of joy. Because we, we have such clarity and we feel a lot of joy and vibrance in our newfound ability to see things as they truly are. We also see what is the path and what is not the path. So that means our mindfulness has become quite powerful. And if defilements, if, if there's distraction, if there's unwholesome thought or any thought coming in the mind, we can quickly divert it, drop it, abandon it, easily, effortlessly, and come back to the breath, come back into the inside of this arising and ceasing of phenomenon of consciousness. And we're less concerned with, less able to be caught up with the physical dimension of our experience, because the mental dimension has become so so joyous, so bright. And we're not judging in this experience. We're not thinking, I'm so good, absolutely. Nothing like that is coming. So it's a very pure knowing. And according to Asaira Pandita, I think this is the Burmese way of seeing it, but 
this stage, which is called Uriyasayajnana, is that it actually means the knowledge of arising and ceasing, is considered a baby sotapanna. When you realize this state, you're guaranteed to become a sotapanna, or to reach stream entry, even in this lifetime. And so that's a great encouragement. But there is still more work to do. There's lots more work to do. So we shouldn't get all puffed up. And you might also be thinking that you've seen this arising and vanishing, but you haven't. You may have seen a little bit. And of course, because we're so eager to, yeah, yeah, I can do it. We're, we're, we're over eager to achieve. We're overachievers and we're over eager to be told or to know that we've, we've made it, we've succeeded. But we have to be very careful in this practice and not go that way, not jump to conclusions and come back to the modest way of seeing uncertain, it's uncertain. And, and there's no grades, there's no diplomas, there's no stars, there's no stripes, there's no special reward except the practice itself and the truth. We want to know the truth of where we are. We don't want to someone to say, oh yeah, you're doing really well, and misread us, deceive us, because when we continue the practice, we'll just eventually fall off the ladder because we've not truly established the foundation. And that would be a disservice by the way, in this particular stage, our faith will become very rich, enriched, ennobled. And this is an important quality to be able to trust and be confident that we can do this and to see, wow, this is what a beautiful gift. We feel gratitude. We feel radiant. We feel such reverence and homage to the Buddha, such gratitude for his teaching. Now we come to the dissolution. In this insight, it's hard for us to see the beginning and the ending. And the Pali name for this jnana is the Bhagavan So it's like somebody banged you on the head and, and you feel like you're lost. Suddenly everything is ending and it's dissolving. And it can be very destabilizing. Like you lose your balance, you're not sure what's going on. You go from, it's a bit like life, you know, you go up and then you go down. Like going through rapids. You don't jump into the water because it becomes all bubbly and scary. You just stay with it. And the, the same with the next insight, which is called Ayanyana. And the difference is that your mental stream, your mindfulness, your mind is knowing the object. So you know the sense of loss. You're aware. Your awareness is powerful. So you're not lost. You're aware of a feeling of it's all dissolving, it's all dissolving. You're not dissolving with it. And mind, mindfulness and awareness are not dissolving with the object. So we're not identified with the process, we're observing it and learning. And so it is with the fear, the, the 
in Bayanyana is the knowledge of fear. So we suddenly become aware of fearful things. So we have such fearful aspects of these phenomena. This is really very important because we have an existential anxiety. Like, what am I, what is this? What am I doing? What, what, we can ask this. And we have an incredibly new and deeper insight into the emptiness of everything. Just everything is empty. This is a very important insight. Because the insight into the real emptiness, that there's no self, and we experience that. When you experience it for yourselves, then you'll know it's true, there's no self. But you just have to go slowly up the ladder and eventually come to this ourselves. Because we've always believed this is me, this body. Then when you don't even, there's no feeling of the body. There's just a mental stream and we're studying the mind. And we see that there's no one in there. There's no, there's no self in, in the mental stream either. So then we become very panicky and scared. But at least we have the knowledge how fearful it can be to someone. It's like somebody takes you and turns you upside down. And where do you stand? And we have an insight into how this whole experience of life is just nothing but appearances. Everything arising and vanishing. There's no joy in seeing it because we feel like we've been fooled. And that's quite frightening. Like now we're beginning to see things exactly as they are. Even in the Udaya Bhajana. We were seeing things exactly as they are, but we didn't know the extent of it because there's such a freedom in being able to see that. So at first we get the joy of that freedom. Now we see the consequences of it. Like, okay, what do I do with this knowledge? And so it gets deeper and deeper. And we, we realize that we're not in control of anything. Nothing. Not our life, not our bodies, not even the mind. It's just spewing out this phenomenon that are arising and ceasing. So we no longer believe in them and take refuge in them. That's very important. But when we think about our life, it, it feels we can even get very sad in this state. And then, from this, comes a very important insight. Um, all of these insights are important. The Adinama, yana, knowledge of the disadvantages of, of all these phenomena. If, if we can't control anything, and it's all just arising and ceasing and ending, then there's no pleasure to be had. So we see the disadvantages of the world that is always trying to gratify us at the five sense doors of the mind. And we have a stronger and stronger experience of the anicca, the dukkha, and the anatta, these three characteristics, which now everything is, in, is kind of tattooed with that. Every single experience in the world becomes impermanent, unsatisfactory, and empty. 
start to question, well, why am I doing the job that I'm doing? And why am I studying for this PhD? And why do I go to parties? Why do I watch movies? It really, our question about how we're living our life begin to arise. We start to see the, the danger of some of our choices and the disadvantages. And we begin to contemplate that. And then, as we have more and more knowledge of that, we begin to feel disenchanted with the world. This disenchantment, weariness, a sense of, I have to make choices, a sense of change, this is a big change, just like everything is changing, our heart is being opened to a very profound truth. And we want to align ourselves with that. So we feel a real weariness towards worldly things. And this is, this is actually an important point from which, if we get to this point, we should not despair. Because it is from this kind of weariness with the world that our energy can rise more quickly and more freely towards Nibbana. Because we're really renouncing the world. And now we start to be uncertain about our ability. This is Muchitu Kamyata Nyanda. It's so overwhelming. This new knowledge is so shattering that we, we go through a little dip. Some people get scared. They actually feel like they can't practice anymore. It's too frightening because we've spent how many years committed to a certain way of being and suddenly it's turned on its head and we have all this insight into how things really are. And we're not sure how, how to put it all back together. So let me shut the door because it's like you've opened a Pandora's box. It's too frightening, so you just shut it. But the difference is this is a treasure box. This is a place of finding safety. It's, it feels dangerous, but it isn't. And then it's important to have a guide or a spiritual friend who's been there and done that and knows and who can say, just, just keep going. Go sit by the river and by the lake and watch the birds. Don't give up because you're actually getting closer and closer to very important insight. It's called Patisanka Nyana. And this is a deep, deep longing for liberation. And we know, we see that we're enchained, we're, we're slaves to, to worldly aims and values and to our desire mind. We are slaves to it. We've, we've signed on the dotted line. We've signed our life away to some work or a kind of profession. But what we're really longing for is Nibbana knowledge. So we can keep practicing. We see more and more into the light of the mind. Now we're really, we're ascending more and more deeply, going deeply into the Dhamma. And then suddenly, the mind opens up into this Osikanic Vista, Sankarampekanyanda. And this insight, it's the equanimity with all activity of the mind, absolute equanimity. The mind is 
seeing landscape after landscape after land, off into infinity. It's endless. It never stops, but it doesn't trouble us. We're just so aware. Our awareness is expansive, boundless awareness, very sharp, clear, a deep clarity, deeply present, and very stable awareness. Not body awareness, just knowing the mind element. Knowing the mind, knowing the mind, knowing the mind. And the mind keeps having these, instead of memories uh, or particular objects appearing, they're just those screensavers that give you these pleasant lights coming and going. And they're supposed to save the screen. But this is the mental screen. And if we keep, it's true, if we keep watching these equanimous waves in the mind, they're just waves which take no particular shape because we're weary of the world and we've left all those shapes behind. So there's no particular activity except the purity of the mind. That's what we begin to see. We see more and more into the light of the mind, the purity of it. And it feels so peaceful. Very, very peaceful, very tranquil, very calm, and very even. And that will develop and develop and develop. And it will develop for each person in a different way. And this is a kind of insight that leads to the combination of our insights. So, if any of these insights have been experienced by you, don't make an assumption. Nice to know if you're kind of in that. You you want to know that you're on it, right? Otherwise, you have to go right back to the bottom and start again. And in some cases, we do have to do that. But just to know the the lay of the land a little bit, and that this is possible for us. And the most important thing is to be patient with it. Not to jump ahead. There's no skipping grades in this. You have to go through every step gradually. And it's a gradual unfolding. And as a matter of fact, it's a natural unfolding. There's nothing unnatural about this. This is nature. This is the natural cleansing of the mental element, the mind element. The cleansing of it, purifying it. To such a degree that we, we can sit for a very long time undisturbed with this pure awareness. So, there are interviews today. Uh,